Nice and full. Oh, man. Foamy. <laughs> what kind it's of beer good. is it? What kind of beer it is, is it? It is a, I don't know, man. I actually, I let my wife pick it out based on what it looked like, and it turned out Risky. to be a good decision. It was a uh, Vienna-style lager. I don't know what that mm. means, but sorry. Right. I've got a cougar but, bait sitting right next to me. Give me a second here. Cougar bait. We're going local beers here to Kentucky. There we go. But, uh, dude, I've been watching, I, I was just texting Mike, I've been watching this documentary on Netflix, this Hotel Cecil Cecil from Los Angeles. It's on Netflix, and it is crazy. It's about, like, this missing persons case, and whatever. Yeah, I think one of my like, roommates was watching that It's recently. pretty wild. He loves it. He loved it. I think he finished it now. But, dude, I can't believe the weekend's already almost over. How come weekends are starting to just feel like a lunch break? I saw that in a meme the other day. I was like, that's all too true. I don't know, man. It it starts to bleed together for me right now because sometimes <laughs> I work from home and sometimes I'm like, what is today? So I don't even yeah, know. Yeah. But. Well, all right. Let's get this show on the road. Welcome, everyone, to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me, as always, is... Evan Worrell. And make sure if you're watching on YouTube, you make sure you like the video, drop a comment if you want to join the conversation, share the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If not, make sure you're subscribed on major podcast services, whatever your listening preference is, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, at Aged Out Podcast, and then hit us up on patreon.com slash Aged Out Podcast if you want to support us financially at all. And then make sure you go check out LoneStarPercussion.com because they are partners of the podcast. Use the code AGEDOUT. Save $10 on any order of $50 or more. Like I've said many times in the past, real easy to do that on percussion gear. Help yourself out. Help us. Help them. Everybody wins. They'll take care of you. And now that I just word vomited all that, Evan, do you want to take it away and we'll get into this bad boy? Dude, I thought that was actually pretty uh, a pretty good intro from you. I'm not gonna lie. It was I, very one fluid. of my better ones. I wasn't gonna toot my own horn, but it was one of my better ones. I will say. No break. No breaks. So yeah, but uh, pleasured and honored to have uh, another guest from the West Coast, not by uh, origin, but transplanted out there. Someone who was introduced to the activity from a very young age, much much younger than I was. Uh, but joining us from out in LA is Alan Unkst. What's up, man? Yo, how's it going, guys? I'm doing well. It is monsooning here. Raining a lot. So, flash yeah, flood. Yeah, the, the weather's pretty bad here, too. It was like uh, 70 today, so it was a little chilly, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was like 80 a couple of days ago, so yeah, 70s. Uh, yeah, it was kind of rough. I got a little sunburn in the car, though, so. <laughs> I'll give you, know, you like... Yeah, sign language finger motions from like <laughs> through the video chat here <laughs> dude that sounds terrible you could uh go run outside you could just read a book on a hammock sounds terrible i feel so bad for yeah, you yeah i know well i gotta put a sweater on at night too when i go walking and everything it's it's a real big inconvenience you know i just can't it's like, i gotta it's get out of here i'm done i gotta get out of here i can't listen to this <laughs> dude you yeah, i've it's, been so nice <laughs> I've kept up with some of your like uh, your Instagram stuff. Is your gym like outside? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much That's everything awesome. was shut down. We had a stay-at-home order for about two or three months in the winter, and everything was shut down. Even restaurants, uh, outdoor dining, and things like that. And it was only takeout. All the gyms were closed. Um, it was pretty strict. And talking to a lot of different people from you know different parts of the country, it seems like. LA was probably hit the hardest um but yeah, yeah luckily the gym like the weather's not too bad 
Um, like sometimes I'll go in the morning, like 6 a.m., 7 a.m., but it'll be like 50s or something like that. So I got to wear like some sweatpants, a sweater, but um, and luckily it's not too humid out here either. So, you know, you're not benching with the bar and the bar is slipping because you don't have the, the humidity. And so I'm I'm definitely grateful for that. But uh, I got to drive like 30, 45 minutes to that gym now. So that's oh, that's kind of a bummer. The L.A. traffic and everything. Uh, well, I guess it comes with the weather. But uh, yeah, but yeah, man, we uh, we just really appreciate you coming on, joining us. Um, we'll give you the opportunity, obviously, to take us through really, I guess, just kind of your story. Obviously, I'm sure you got introduced to the activity at a, a much younger age than than most people, just with your your dad, Tom and your mom, uh, Darcy being so heavily engulfed in it when you were uh, a young kid so yeah man kind of take us away how you i don't want to say got introduced to music because i think that's probably pretty self-explanatory but yeah dig in yeah yeah i guess before i jump into that too just i want to let everyone know that this podcast is awesome and i got introduced <laughs> to it um in the beginning of covid and it it was really cool just getting a bunch of different people's perspectives on things whether you guys interviewed members or staff or and it was just kind of, um, you know, no one was really drumming or doing anything during that time. So it was one of those things where I, I got a lot, a lot of different people's perspectives and it kind of got my juices going for Drumline again. So you guys were awesome. kind of that bridge around the beginning of COVID. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it. yeah, I, um, so my dad's Tom Monks <laughs> and at a very young age, I was exposed to the activity, um, the marching percussion activity. But as I think uh, from a really young age, he, I mean, I just thought like I could imagine maybe someone's dad is an engineer or someone's dad is a businessman or someone's dad is, you know, there's some, something else, um, you know, a janitor or something like that's what I knew was kind of marching percussion and music and things like that, because that's, um, you know, what I grew up in. So, you know, people didn't really, people would say, oh, like, that, that's crazy. Your dad's Tom Ungst and, you know, how do you feel about that? What do you think? And things like that about the, the marching <laughs> activity. And, how do you, you know, there's all these that? questions about that stuff, but. How do you um, feel about your dad? Well, I kind of like <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I get that when I was uh, maybe six or seven years old. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Man. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't I let me have ice cream last night. You know? Snores pretty loud. And, you know, you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, typical, awesome. typical dad things. But um, yeah, so I mean, I was kind of around it for a while. Never really appreciated it when I was younger. Um, and then the first real finals I remember was 2005. That whole thing with That's a good uh, one. Angelette yeah yeah the like that's one that year and i i remember uh watching like spongebob though in the <laughs> in, like the booth like um the show was going on and i i just kind of wasn't into it but that's kind of the first memory i have like the real vivid memory of drum corps and things like that um but i really kind of found the hunger for marching percussion when i joined high school because before okay. high school, you're doing the middle school stuff, the elementary. It's like, okay, cool. Sign up, get the bell kit, like drum. Like, okay, yeah, it was fun. And you have some friends and things like that. Um, but, you know, I'd rather go home, play Call of Duty and 
other things like that and basketball <laughs> and you know, I was into sports and stuff like that. But yeah, that's where I found my hunger was high school because that's when we started competing. Um, and then you really get those really motivated people or inspiring people like um, this one guy, AO, I marched with. He was very Alex Olivier. Yeah, yeah, Alex. Mike marched was, with uh, him too. I marched with him too. <laughs> 2010. Oh, Blue Stars, right? Yeah, yeah. He was extremely yeah. young. I stood right. Yeah. I actually stood right next to him. That's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think I was there. Um, 2010 Allentown for Blue Stars, like that whole rehearsal. You probably, I mean, you probably were. It would not surprise me at all. <laughs> so yeah, I've kind of been around the activity, but like I said. Um, or even 2010, I did like DTX in the pit and I was like part of the pit in eighth grade, but it didn't really click yet until I got into the drum line in 2011 and kind of, you know, the physicality to it, the competitiveness mm -hmm. and the people and inspiring people like AO, you know, really just made me kind of click something in my mind click where I was like, okay, this is really fun. And this is something that's, you know, a little bit more like sports, which I really liked sports when I was younger for the community, for the competition um, and things like that. So you got way more of that when I joined high school. So I did that, um, you know, through 2014 is when I graduated. Um, I did Spartans as well during that time, like an open class group from New Hampshire. Um, I actually did 7th Regiment before then, but I had to drop it because I got mono. That's so, uh oh. I'm at seventh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. So, how old would uh -oh. you have been if you had done seventh regiment that summer? What year would that have been? And how old would you have been? So, that was 2011. That was my freshman year or after my freshman year of high school. Were you supposed to play uh, snare drum? Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty old for my grade, though. So, I think I was, it might have been 15 because my birthday is in July. So, I think okay. still pretty impressive for yeah. a freshman going out. Division two I, or open class. I don't even know what it's called then. Open class group. Yeah, I still remember, uh, you know, trying to get the trad grip and everything. Because my match shots were pretty good because of the whole Dartmouth thing. But uh -huh. trying to switch to the traditional and getting that was definitely some difficulties. But, you know, you make those connections where it's like, okay, well, I know how to drum. It's just I got to connect this, the mechanics of that left sure, hand sure. to make it work the way I, I want my mind to work. Um, but yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. finish that, that season, but it it was humbling now looking back to it. Like I remember crying at the time to my mom because I wanted to finish and she's like, no, you're not finishing. Like, I was just very immature. <laughs> you very have like young. seven I seasons left. Out. It'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was 2011 when I did seventh Spartans, 2012, uh, Crown, 13 and 14. Uh, BD 15, 16, 17. Uh, and then after I graduated Dartmouth, I did RCC 15, 16, 17, 18. Um, so yeah, a good amount of years marching, but, uh, yeah, I'm ended up compiling six WG or six gold medals between those ensembles. Wait, I and, did not yeah. time out. What? Yeah. So crown 13, uh, Dartmouth 14, BD 15 and 17, RCC 15 and 18. So six gold medals and then like a handful of other silver, bronze stuff mixed Is in there he, too. So I, I, he might be one of the most decorated people ever. Could be. It's up like, there. It's got to be up there. If anyone's, there if anyone, people 
with three DCI championships. I know I can name a few, like uh, this guy, Sean Clark, who marched Blue Devils with me. Uh, a lot of BD people, for sure. Uh, well, duh. Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. If well, they march long enough. <laughs> there's actually this guy that marched BD since he was 15 and won like six gold medals with him. So whatever, you know. If you're in Chino <laughs> yeah. Hills now, there's usually a good chance you win two or three. So it's true. Someone, true. Yeah, someone's got to know. Someone's got to maybe yeah. Nicole or something. Or if somebody She's knows probably somebody, got a lot. Yeah, if you know somebody out there listening that you know has that many medals across all their years or more, Drop a comment on the YouTube video or something to let us know, or because I'm very curious. It's got to be. And you got an outdoor, got an outdoor drum trophy in 15 with the Ink Show. Nice, great, great yeah. drum line. Ryan else is in there. No Ryan. Coincidentally, yeah, yeah. the last time BD was on Pearl. Coincidence? Not saying it. Yeah. Not saying anything, yeah. but also saying something. <laughs> so, but <laughs> definitely, yeah, yeah. I'd say, uh, I mean, out of all of it, probably. Um, maybe 17 BD, 18 RCC was my favorite. Just because you really get, especially aging out of people get the opportunity to age out. And unfortunately we're in COVID circumstances, but um, I know Sean Vegas says this a lot too. Aging out is kind of like your graduation where you do all these years, you get the time in and yeah, sure it's fun. And there's a lot of stuff going, going on, but you always have that age out in the back of your mind. And then finally getting to that age out and experiencing that and you get the full awareness of what's been happening before that. Like I said, when I, you know, was crying at my mom in 2011 seventh regiment to like crown was a great show to all the ups and downs. Like I'd say 17 BD was a good cap, which was like um, a tribute show pretty much to past blue devils and 18 RCC, which was a tribute show to past RCC groups. So it's pretty <laughs> cool just being in both tribute shows and, you know, aging out and uh, I guess kind of closing that chapter for marching. Um, so it, it, it was definitely a good time and um, just a lot of different varied experiences, which was pretty cool. So you talk about varied experiences. Why did you, like when you left Crown was when your dad left Crown, right? When he was no. no, no, yeah, my dad was there. What years was he? Was he there? I know he I stayed through fifteen. At, I think at least because that was the Inferno show. All right, I want to say fifteen, sixteen. He was there, so for two years. Um, because I remember after fourteen crown. So for thirteen crown, we only had like one vet in the snare line. Like there were a lot of vets in thirteen, fourteen. We had a good good amount of people, like half the snare line back um and then after 14 though there was a staff change and then a lot of people kind of separated but yeah i remember him calling me saying hey you know you want to come to crown blah 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 things like that and um i was already in california at the time and i had my mindset on blue devil so i was like i don't think it's gonna work out things like that um, (laughs) he's like what do you mean how's that gonna work out (laughs) get your ass over to crown Yeah, exactly. So there was just a lot, I guess you could say after 14 crown, just from a member's perspective and a staff perspective, it was almost like starting fresh in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a great time at crown and it's one of those things too, where you think it doesn't really matter what place you're in. I think always just trying to get better and moving forward for me at least keeps me hungry in that group, like always having that potential to move forward. And I guess after 14 crown, 
I just didn't really feel that potential to move forward anymore, just from the people that were already there. It just seemed gotcha. like I know a lot of other people were going to blue coats and other things, and there were, there were a bunch of staff things happening. So when you kind of hit that wall where it's like, okay, am I going to move back? Is it forward? Or you kind of have that question. I guess that's when it's time to kind of move on and do that next thing. Um, and I guess that's kind of just in life too. Just trying, even if you're like, you know, we might talk about weightlifting, even if you're the benching, like the bar only, as long as you're making those improvements, I think that's such a big thing. And it doesn't matter if you're like the weakest dude, like making those improvements, it just fuels you, right? It, it it's, gets, it's you know, so funny. I felt funny. like RCT was that thing. It's so funny how many people that were marching percussionists end up getting into weightlifting in some way because of that same kind of progression that you just like illustrated right there, or just kind of talked about. It's that it's so constant. tangible. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I can lift a little more weight today. Just like when I was drumming, I can play this exercise a little faster today than I could yesterday or a few more times in a row. And it's like the same kind of, it scratches that habitual progress itch. I think for a lot of us. Yeah. And like that, uh, that graduation too, it's like, going through the activity from step one to step 10. I know like some of the tricks in the process to getting to step 10. Now, other things in my life, like I'm, I'm doing real estate right now too. I have the first couple steps, but I have the roadmap of how to get to that elite level because I did it in this other thing. And I kind of max yeah. that out to a certain way. So I can use some of those tricks like uh, I know a big one is like reaching out to people or finding a mentor or finding someone to help you. Like that's really a big connection for me um, just because when I was trying out for like crown, I know this guy, Andy Kim, he was like a four year vet. There. Yeah, <laughs> I marched two summers with Andy Kim. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He, um, he, uh, he just pretty much drummed with me. It was like me, him and this other guy from Spartans who wanted to try out. We went up to like, rent the mass like 45 minutes away from where I lived and we just kind of drummed and it wasn't like a formal lesson or anything. So shout out to Andy for that help. But um, just, I guess maybe finding like pe people like that along the way who know the path, like Andy was like a top level performer in, in you know, world-class. So finding him and I knew I wanted to do crowns. So I was like, okay, well try to kind of connect those pieces so you can connect those in other avenues too. Like the For real sure. estate stuff I'm doing right now, I can try to make those connections. Like, okay, who's doing what I want to do? And how do I talk to them? How do I connect to them? Like, how can I offer them something? Um, hey, man, so can I take cool. uh, real estate private lessons from you? What? <laughs> 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 What'd you yeah, just say? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the vernacular is definitely not the same, but the, the process is, is pretty similar. I totally relate. I mean, that's, I mean, my gig, my day-to-day -day job, like doing insurance, it's like the same way. You just like, all right, you set goals, like you either work out or you do this, or like, instead of chopping out for 30 minutes, I'm like, all right, I'm going to touch base with this person or this guy who's like a mortgage broker or this, whatever. But it's the same. Like you're talking about, you're applying one skill set to another facet of life. Um, once you figure out how to become like a world level, whatever, it can just immediately translate to the next thing. Um, which is yeah, sick. I think that's, um, just to kind of interject on that, I think that's a big thing for percussion or the WGI and DCI activity for percussion is that age out. 
Um, and I know other people have kind of talked about it where you kind of age out and you have that after period where you're like, oh God, like I put all this time into it and I can't do it anymore. And you want to like, oh, let's extend the age out. Let's do this. Let's extend it. Like I want to keep doing it. But it kind of gives you that learning lesson where it's like, okay, I achieved this at such a high level and you can kind of move on into different things. Like it doesn't all have to be about that one experience per se. You can create other things or even now just teaching too. Like if, if people had the opportunity to keep marching, maybe there wouldn't be as high level teachers as there are in the drumline activity. For too. Sure. So I, mm-hmm. I think that's probably why it's, at least I'm a big proponent of, or a believer in keeping that age out just because it's like that graduation in a way. And you kind yeah. of have that in the back of your mind. Makes sense. And it just keeps the, it just keeps the wheels churning. I mean, it allows for new people to experience the same thing that we all did. Um, and it, I don't know. I've always said like, if you just watched a bunch of old people, it'd just be the same people year in and year out. That wouldn't be as much fun as just like witnessing like the new people. And especially with like social media and like YouTube these days, like witnessing this kid go from like this group. Like, I think that kid was in that group last year. And now he's in this group and I was in this group. It's like, ah, oh, good for him, man. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, but to kind of backtrack a little bit, you, so you had already moved to California. I'm, assuming there was like a multitude of reasons, like maybe you had in mind, like, I do want to do RCC. I do also want to do this with school. I do also want to do this. What was like that process that took you from Dartmouth mass out to the West coast? Yeah. So after high school, I didn't really know what I wanted. Like, you know, people say, Oh, after high school, like go to trade school, go to college, do that, do that. And then figure out your life. So for me, it was like, I don't really know what I want to do. And the one thing I really liked was marching percussion. So I remember, um, so after I finished that summer of crown, I went back home and I had like three days to really decide if I'm moving out to California. Cause they had like RCC fall marching band auditions coming up that like three days away. And I just remember me and my mom sitting there at the kitchen table and she's like, all right, what are you going to do? And just really processing like, okay, am I going to just move everything and go to California and just start new? Because I didn't really know anyone at the time, but I was really inspired by the, uh, what was it, 2012 RCC show? The Gift. Shows. Like once I saw that show, I was like, all right, it's over. Like I, I really like Rhythm X as well. Like 2010 Rhythm X, I saw that finals. That was that was pretty hype being in the audience. That's one of, one of my favorite shows. Um but yeah, after the RCC 2012 show and just how they moved visually and everything, I knew I was like, okay, I want to like, like I was saying before, kind of upgrade what I'm doing um, because there weren't a lot of local groups in like near New Bedford that I can go to. Um, so I was like, okay, well, why not just fly out and just do the RCC thing? Cause I didn't really have other things going on. Um, so that's kind of what I did is I just kind of flew out there and, um, I, oh, also the connection of Nick Arcee. He taught mm-hmm. Crown in 2013, and he's been the snare guy at Blue Devils since 2014. I did um, not so know I he did a summer at Crown. Connection. Yeah, he was the tenor tech at Crown. And then 14 Blue Devils, he was the snare guy there. So it's pretty funny how, like, multi... It, what a talented individual. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to march quads at BD, and then I'm also going to tap off on BD. So it's like... Okay. (laughs) 
But just some of the stuff he was saying, I remember at Crown, I just like look at my hands and I'd be like, I didn't know you could do that. Like, what do you, what do you, <laughs> like, I wanted to dig deeper in that, in the philosophy he was bringing. Um, and just from talking to a lot of West Coast people, I guess it derived from like Jeremy Summers, like, and a lot of those quad guys and like the Blue Devil lines from that time, like 08, 09, 10, even 11, 12. Like, you can think of a lot of Blue Devil lines that were really good tenor players. And he kind of brought some of that philosophy with like efficiency and how to move your hands and mechanics. And it just kind of blew my mind. So I was like, there was like, um, it kind of felt like something missing in a way. Like, okay, I was getting this great instruction, but I wanted something else. I wanted that full umbrella of the marching experience, not just like we said, like my dad was my teacher for a while. And I didn't want to be that person who was just kind of latched on to him the whole time. I wanted to kind of do my own thing. You know, you, after a while, you kind of grow up, you're like, okay, well, I don't want to just do whatever my dad does or do whatever my mom does. The whole, you kind of want to make your own identity. And I guess For maybe sure. that was it too, um, was my own identity in a way. Uh, but yeah, I guess a multitude of things, but, um, I just kind of took that leap of faith and I was like, okay, who doesn't want to live in Southern California? Right. I want to live in Ohio or <laughs> that was the correct that was the correct decision you chose wisely right uh, old, old quote from Indiana Jones movie there so, I think that sentiment mirrors sorry I'll let you go in a second Mike <laughs> I think that sentiment that you just talked about uh, mirrors a lot of what Ryan Ellis had told us before too and his kind of approach for he had done summers at Blue Coats and um, there were a multitude of reasons why he went out to BD, but one of them was for sure that he just wanted to get a broader picture of the activity and learn from different people to enhance himself as like a potential instructor instructor down the road, which he obviously is now, um, just to learn from a different train of thought. So I totally get that. I mean, I wasn't going to march my age out somewhere at the same. I wasn't going to march my age out at Crown, which I've said on here multiple times. I was going to go to a different core, but just didn't end up marching at all. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to say, Mike? I was just going to switch the subject to ask one question before we get too far away from your younger years. Was there ever a point, whether it had been in middle school or high school, that you were questioning that you were going to keep pursuing this marching percussion thing, despite who your parents are? Like, were you like a sophomore at, at any point, like a sophomore, seventh grader, eighth grader, where you're like, no, I think I'm just going to try to play basketball or just do this or that or just not do band anymore? Or was it just once you decided, like, that was it for you? Yeah, I'd say when I was younger, like elementary, middle school, I was really into baseball. Um, so that was kind of a possibility just to kind of play baseball. And even just my friend group. Um, like everyone kind of has friend groups that they hang out with um, when they're younger. And that definitely changed when I got into high school. But um, it was definitely a thought of not really knowing or not committing to the marching band thing or just the, the marching activity. Um, so that was definitely a thought. But I mean, once I got into high school, I was pretty much locked in and okay. I really liked it and just kind of the community aspect of it. Sure. Um, but my freshman year was definitely hard. Just I'm sure like a lot of people when they first get into it, it's very overwhelming and you don't really know the culture. And I think that's um, I think the biggest thing for me, though, was just the culture aspect of it and just the intensity of it. 
because it was way more intense than sports. Cause you know, when you're younger with sports, you maybe have some like, you know, dads or something coaching and they don't really know what's going on and things like that. <laughs> but when I got to, into Dartmouth, it was like, okay, this dude knows what's happening and he's very intense and there's a certain standard to what's going on. Sure. Um, so it was just definitely overwhelming, especially just doing snare too off the bat. Um, but my dad definitely tried to help prepare just my hands. Um, but just the culture and the intensity of it, you're not really ready for it. And sure. just what, what to kind of expect. I just the can't imagine there... having that resource at home all the time. Like you're just like in eighth grade, yeah. like, hey, dad, let's drum for a while. All right, cool. Yeah, Thanks. Well, um, <laughs> you didn't practice while, today. Uh, for a while, we'd actually kind of fight about it because, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he would kind of be – he was very like methodical and it's great that like now I really understand, but he was really about that consistency and like, okay, every day try to practice for like half an hour and things like that. But for me being elementary, middle school kid, we just kind of fight. I'm like, no, I don't want to practice. I don't want to do that. I'm just gonna play <laughs> basketball. <laughs> we kind of fight. It was just me being immature and him just trying to show me. And after a while I was like, all right, just do what you want. And actually, um, I took private lessons with this, um, with this guy, Neil Sylvia. Um, so I didn't actually learn. He didn't actually, my dad didn't really actually teach me to drum. Like I kind of ask him for advice sometimes, but someone else kind of taught me from third grade. I started taking lessons all throughout high school. So he kind of taught me. And if I asked my dad, he'd kind of give me tips, but it's one of those things where, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I just kind of, I wasn't thinking this, but I wanted to kind of experience my own thing maybe when I was younger too. Yeah. You don't always want your dad there saying, no, shoot the layup this way. No, do that way. No, do that. Because he was, obviously he's a master of what he does. So he knows all those little things that you do wrong. And I sure. always hear him beforehand, like, okay, take out the trash. All right, do that. Do the dishes. All right, laundry. <laughs> All right, drum. It's like it. It gets to it be probably helps hearing it from somebody else too, because yeah, like sure. you're just saying, like your dad just like, all right, this is the same thing that you do with every other part of my life. Like hearing it from an outside perspective, I'm sure hits home a little bit more. It's like you show up and he's like, I know you didn't practice enough, and you're like, Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, when I got older, it definitely helped a lot more. But when I was elementary, middle school, you know, you're just going through puberty and there's a lot of emotions going on and there's there's just a lot to it. Um, so it definitely got a little tense at times. But uh, when I got older, it's, it's definitely nice now because, you know, with cadets and things like that, we'll just sit down and talk and just drink and do whatever. And it, it's really cool just to kind of have that connection with my dad now. It's like we both have that higher level understanding and that's his career, too. Right. And that's yeah. part of my career as well. So to kind of have that connection now is very fruitful. But when I was younger, it was it was uh, it was definitely difficult. That's for sure. You talked about the intensity of the culture at Dartmouth. And one I've watched some interviews that I think it was your mom. Does she do all the costuming and stuff, too? Yeah. So obviously yeah. the costuming is very extravagant and elaborate. Was that just like everybody who was in there was like this is what we're wearing whatever we're drumming like we don't care because some of it's pretty like intense like you guys do it to i think she called it maximalism in one thing instead of minimalism uh 
were, were you guys ever just be like, all right, this is what we're wearing, whatever, it's whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'd say we, I mean, it's just is part of the culture. And you're just kind of indoctrinated into it as a freshman, eighth grade, and even a lot of people now, seventh graders they have in the group. Yeah. Um, so you're just kind of part of that culture and you know what's going on. And it's it's really fun. Um, and it's kind of like a family too. It's not like, because I know a lot of different programs, it's just all kind of guys and just drumline. But I know as far as Dartmouth, there's like a dance team and a lot of visual aspects to it and things like that. So it just really is part of that culture. And you don't really know either when you're kind of in it because you got to think too, like you're still a kid at that point. So you're you like in that town, you know, those people, you don't really, you know, you see videos of Chino Hills and Ayala and what they're doing. And you're like, okay, that's cool. And it's very different. But then you just kind of think too, it's like, okay, like it's, it's just very different what we do when they're like, uh, what is it, 3,000 miles away too. So it just seems kind of out there. For um, sure. But you never, I don't, I don't think anyone e- ever really, you know, kind of gets down on it or anything like that. It's just kind of, oh no. And everything, everyone just kind of hypes it in a way. Um, oh, I love it. Now, I think that I look forward to it every year. Especially, I think one of my favorite shows from the past few years was watching that uh, the out of the box show uh, that they did. I was like, man, yeah. these kids are just like going hard. And as a like designer and person who watches the activity now, I just look at it. And I'm like, man, this is so unique every year. Like, it's just not the same show every year. Like people get some groups, especially like kind of have their style, like get pegged into it's like man it's a different show every year this is pretty sweet so i was just kind of curious yeah i I like what you say about the style though just because even think about different artists too that that you'll listen to on spotify or apple music or something and um they all have their kind of you know way they do things and even though okay this song might be slower this song might be a love song this one's like really hype this one's energy but they all kind of have a way of doing things and just something unique that they bring to the table. Um, And I think that's definitely true. And maybe how we thought of it as Dartmouth too. Um, And even you think about the the people competing in the Massachusetts region too, like we'd never see anyone except for Dayton. And then that was just a total shock to us. So, I mean, when we were doing the, the, the local shows, it was like we were rock stars in a way. Like everyone kind of line up to the local high school bleachers and try to watch. Um, and then when we got to Dayton, we're like, uh-oh, maybe we should have done a few more reps or maybe we should have, <laughs> you know, not teated our horn too much. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, I'd say, more like Broadway-based. I know my mom talks a lot about Broadway. And I guess that kind of East Coast Broadway kind of influence was very extravagant. Um, like I just watched Hamilton. I guess you can just relate a lot of the costuming to Broadway. And I think that's where she pulls a lot of her influence. You know, I, I don't want to speak for her, but I'm pretty sure she's she's very into that stuff. So I think that's... That makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> I mean, you, you guys know my dad. He he wouldn't come up with that stuff. Like, he's not... <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't come up with like a lot of these wigs and costumes and makeup. And I mean, that'd be funny if you did, but uh, yeah, a lot of it comes from my mom. 
Is this gonna hamper them from playing the flame drags? Nope. Okay, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's always his first question. All right, are they good <laughs> playing? All right, then do whatever. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so being at Dartmouth, you already hinted on like obviously you guys and Tom has talked about this too on here the podcast himself just about the movability and portability of like the match grip and how it doesn't really peg anyone into any specific track but as you like branch off and start to move into your career requiring you to play traditional grip to do these groups was that and you you talked a little bit like how you're just applying these other things do you feel like that was a pretty quick process to pick up even though you hadn't done it just because you knew basic fundamental skill sets. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was quick, but I'd say it was easier just because you can relate it better. But I guess I'm going to go back to weightlifting. It's like, okay, say, you know how to lift all these lifts, but you've never done biceps before. So you're going to be weaker at biceps, but you have the knowledge of knowing how to weightlift. So you're going to progress faster, but to, to say like, okay, I just picked up the left and it was easy or it was quick. No, just because you got to build the strength in your hand and especially the fulcrum, just making, I remember the fulcrum would always slip because I wouldn't have the strength in my left hand fulcrum. Um, but I knew like, okay, well, I probably got to rotate. Okay. I probably got to do this. I got to do that. Cause that's, it, there's a lot of similarities to match in traditional, but I'd say just building that strength definitely happened over time. For sure. Um, worked out pretty well. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely didn't pick up bad habits at an early age, which can be pretty detrimental. Um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely doing the seventh regiment, and then Spartans, that definitely helped. It's not like I just kind of jumped right into like, all right, now you're in crown. Like that would have been a difficult transition. Like, okay, maybe musically there's some similarity just from world class, I guess music you could say, but just chops itself. Like I think there's so much um, to, to do a group. Like some people, I know some, some people ask me questions or students or members nowadays saying, hey, well, I can just get better at home over three months and save $4,000 or whatever the fees are. So why don't I just stay home? But I think there's so much to just doing a summer and just getting that experience and just, I guess, being more calloused. Like, it's like uh, oh, you're going to you're gonna sit at home and play exercises for four hours a day? No? Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to have that kind of dedication to you, right? It's like you want to you wanna make it easier for yourself. You don't want to make it super stressful where you're like, okay, well, I got to drum four hours every day. And then at home, you're not going to do that. You're not going to drum four hours every day. You're not going to have that kind of discipline. Um, so it's definitely something to be said to just kind of do a group, even if it's not, you know, per se, the, the group you want to do, just kind of doing that group and even meeting different people too. And I guess getting their perspectives on drumming and just kind of chopping out. I feel that man. Um, it's kind of jumping around, which is fine. We're a little bit sporadic, but that's kind of the way the, the conversation always flows. So I am going to talk about a few shows because over the years you talked about, you just saw RCC 2012 and we're like, yes, since aging out, I have become 
like an RCC fanboy just in what they do, the way they approach it, the way that they design. It, it just seems like it's all so methodically well thought out. The 15 show, the Guardians of the Breath, in my opinion, should still have the record for the highest score, but also just such an incredible show where they're in. We talked to Nicole a little bit about it before, but were there like points in some of these shows that you marched where you were just like, this is going to be it, whether it's BD, RCC, Crown or, or whatever, like early on in the season where you like, yeah, this is going to happen. Ooh, I wouldn't say so, really. Uh, I know the 15 show, the RCC show, that was a big one. Um, and obviously during the time we broke the record, but during the season, I guess it, it's difficult as a member, just because you're so focused on yourself and just trying not to tick, right. Trying not to mess up. So for the 15 show, I knew we definitely had something special when we started competing, but to say beforehand, we had something special, maybe not just because it was my first year doing it. Um, but I, I'd say 18 RCC, I kind of knew all along, like, okay, that was a great show. There was a lot of great stuff happening, but it was more of a slower paced process to get it all culminated. Um, What's so one I thing guess- that surprised you? What's one thing that kind of shocked you about the way the RCC designs or just the way that, I mean, you went from Dartmouth and Carolina Crown to this West Coast experience. And was there one thing that you were just like, wow, this is really different the way that we're designing or just going about learning. Yeah, the biggest thing I can think of right now is a lot of stuff when I march some of those East Coast groups uh, like Crown, Dartmouth, Spartans, it was more planned out. Like you knew what you were going to do before the rehearsal started. Um, And then as I guess some of the culture shock when I got to RCC and Blue Devils is you didn't really know what you should do but you had an idea of kind of what to prepare for and what to expect, whether that could be, okay, well, instead we're just going to do some visual now instead of drumming. You're like, okay, well, that wasn't on the schedule. So if, if you're very like schedule oriented and very nitpicky about that, that probably would be a big shock. And that kind of was for me just because I was like, okay, well, this is the music. You don't really change it too much from the day to day. But I know RCC, Blue Devils, um, you know, sometimes we change the music on the spot and say, okay, we'll just do that and do that. Um, so that was kind of the the biggest change was just within the rehearsal, knowing that it was more malleable, whereas opposed to the East Coast, it was more, um, this is what we're doing. And we ha- it's a more structured plan of A, B, C, D, E. Um, and it didn't change too, too much. Um, at least from my experience, um, doing crown Spartans, Dartmouth, things like that. But I know a lot of that has kind of changed and kind of come together per se, since I aged out, but that was the the biggest difference for me. Yeah. I think in my experience with like crown and stuff, it was always, you have the music. All right, here, we printed out your drill charts write your dots in your dot book. We're going to go out, we're going to paint them. We're going to learn the dots. Then we're going to go back. We're going to put the music to the dots. And this is that, and this is that boom, boom, boom. Uh, and then doing a group like X, it showed up and it was like, all right, you stand here. Now you stand here. Can you get over there and eight counts? Yeah. Okay. Do that. Then they'd have everybody do it. I'm like, no, nah, we're going to change that. Nope. Don't, doesn't work. It was just all 
on the fly designing and staging as you go yeah that that experience no like go ahead that experience for like you were talking about 2010 was my first year with the mag so i was just like what is happening right now like what are we just like (laughs) wasting time like is he just like making this stuff up and i didn't really know much about tim fairbanks at the time other than i guess this dude knows what he's doing i mean they just won two gold medals so whatever here we go (laughs) Uh, well, that was that was something I you had told me about that the process when I was doing it in 2011 before we first first started learning drill, and I didn't believe you like how scattered it would be. I did not believe you at all, and I was like, well, we'll see. And then, literally, he's not lying. It's like, can you get here to here in 12 counts? And even if you said no, Tim would go, well, just keep trying, and if you can't do it in like two weeks, then we'll look at it. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that at RCC for sure. More RCC. Um, Blue Devils was a little different. Like there, there was some more staging compared to drill stuff. Definitely on the West Coast, like Blue Devils and RCC. But RCC a little bit more just because you have a smaller group. Like Blue Devils, it it would have been kind of hard to manage that. Um, just from my experience, but definitely a lot of what you were talking about. Um, Mike, where people would ask, or Jamie Hawley, the the visual guy at RCC would ask, okay, well, can you make it there in 12 counts or can you make it in eight counts? And I would always say, yeah, even if it was too big, I was like, all right, whatever, like, I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Are you you telling me to do it? (laughs) Yeah. I would take it as a challenge. I'm like, all right, you want me to do that? All right, I'll do that. But, um, and then if I look stupid, he'd be like, all right, just back it down. No, that's too big. So, but there was a lot of staging for sure. I feel like there's a lot of that when I watch RCC that goes into it as far as, all right, yeah, that looks awkward and we don't ever want you to look awkward as a performer. So don't do that much. Um, Just because when you watch the ensembles move and the visual things develop, it all just seems so fluid and so comfortable. Uh, I, I just imagine that there's other groups to be like, you just have to, you have to hit this. Like in my experience in an independent open group, we'd be like, we, we just can't do this. And they'd be like, you have to versus like a world-class group like that, where the performers being like, I can't do this. The designer's probably like, okay, I believe you. Let's change it. Yeah. The end of the end of the RCC 2018 comes to mind after the, the vocal lyric or whatever. And then they start doing like the ritual body and like everybody moves to like the back, right of the tarp. And I was like, dude, this all just flows so well. I just, I can't wrap my head around that visually, like designing that my brain doesn't function that way, but. <laughs> well, we've, yeah. we've had that discussion on here a lot about blue devils move so well, RCC moves so well. Part of it of course is they're extremely experienced members and they just march well at that point in their careers. But part of it, I think, probably does have to do with that design decision and understanding there's limitations to what someone can do comfortably and play and perform well with a drum on. Like, you just can't ask someone to go from here all the way over there across the floor in this many counts and expect them to look normal, comfortable, like a professional performer. I think it goes hand in hand. Again, they're obviously very experienced and skilled, but there are limitations. And more and more nowadays, people are acknowledging that. But I think in the past, a lot, designers would just be like, well, this is what I need you to do, so you're going to do it. Instead of being forcing the designer to be more creative and say, okay, 
I, as a designer, need to work around potential limitations. Maybe the performer in that spot is four inches shorter than and make it literally not. You know what I mean? Like there's just things like that. People used to just say, do it. And now I think they're more taking it, that into account to make sure the performers look comfortable and professional and good at all times. Yeah, yeah. I like what you said too, Evan, where you kind of have that member interaction between the members and the staff. I think that's super important too. Or even just, okay, maybe it's a big move and it's difficult, but having that transparency where it's like, okay, I know this is a big move, but everything else looks good. If you can just make it look good, it'll be perfect. Like I know that sometimes that's kind of how it was at RCC where it's like, okay, well, the whole group looks good, but maybe it's one or two people who just take the brunt of that move. I guess you could say kind of the ends of the snare line when you do a pinwheel Mm -hmm. drum core or something. It's like, okay, well, that looks sick, but the ends are kind of getting shafted on this move. So we can, if we can just make the ends look good, then, you know, the whole thing is going to look better. So maybe just, I think being transparent, I think helps a lot or even just saying, okay, well, what's your input on this? And this is my input in finding that agreement. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, yeah, just kind of being transparent with it and not just kind of forcing them and saying, all right, we'll just do it. Cause you're, you signed up for it. So <laughs> for yeah. sure, for sure. An open dialogue is super important. I, I noticed things too in the lot when we actually watched that we were in the RCC 18 finals lot. Mike and I were, yep. I think one of the ensnare drummers was like, just kids in my way. And I was sitting there, I was like, well, I'm not a kid. I'm like eight years older than you and don't push me. But, <laughs> uh, I wonder who that was. Maybe Carson. Uh, it was whoever was ha- somebody was having like a drum issue or something like they oh. they weren't were yeah or something or i don't know what's going on but whatever uh i was like all right i'll get your way just calm down but uh <laughs> there are things that rcc does that i've kind of picked up on like they almost like showcase like sections like it's like all right i'm gonna have this individual person play this lick in the lot in front of the entire like crowd that's warming up or we're gonna like work on this project or this project was there a difference in like the rehearsal scheme or just like the rehearsal protocol that you noticed from like going east to west or even difference from like BD to RCC and how like you guys broke down stuff or checked stuff? Yeah, well, I remember breaking some of that stuff down a lot <laughs> that you talked about RCC 2018. Um, that was definitely nerve wracking, but I think uh, it was Matt Regler's philosophy. He teaches there. Um, and his whole thing was making the practice as close to the performance or even what you do in SoCal close to the performance, you know? So we do a lot of those things, uh, in rehearsal. So for us, like people playing it individually, we were used to that. And, you know, Dayton, there's a lot of nerves going on. It's like, all right, I'm going to mess this up. Like, but you, you, you kind of had that during the rehearsal too, where it was more individually focused. Um, so going back to your question there was more individual focus in my experience with what i did at rcc and blue devils compared to the situation i was in in crown and dartmouth um like crown and dartmouth it was more you kind of get reps together or even i remember for a lot of auditions you would play individually more like in a separate room like you go in a separate room and have your individual audition and then you went back to the main room and okay, maybe they'd ask you to play a couple things down the line, 
but that was a big thing um, for Blue Devils. I know specifically is you just kind of play things down the line. You don't really play together, which was a big culture shock when I went there in 2015. I was like, all right, uh, we're just going to play it two times together and then down the line. It's like, okay. And then everyone would play it. It's like, okay, next exercise, play it together. And then, all right, down the line. All right, next one, play it. So there was definitely a lot of that to get used to. And just kind of having that confidence to play individually too and knowing and really being prepared for that. I definitely was caught off guard for that um, just because that, that the camps were so different. Um, but as far as the rehearsal itself, I'd say they're more similar, but the audition process, um, definitely more emphasis when I was at Blue Devils and RCC compared to Crown and some of the other East Coast groups I did. So that was a big one. But as far as rehearsal, maybe not as much. That makes sense. I mean, you see videos pop up on YouTube of like somebody's playing in the Blue Devils audition, like the spree that was just made up on the spot. It's like, all right, here you go. Let's see what you got. Um, I feel like that's yeah. one thing that Tim Jackson brought to Rhythm X from his BD experience because we used to do that too. We called it the American Idol audition. Yeah, it does feel like that. And I think it's uh, it's something to get used to too. Like at first I was terrible at it because I didn't really know like that was what was expected in a way. But I know, especially in my last year, um, I knew what to expect. And I knew, okay, I had to play individually and all this stuff. So it's just, I guess going back to, you know, Andy Kim and I was prepared for crown auditions because I saw the crown drum line through Andy's eyes. Like he was like, oh, they're going to do this at the audition. They're going to do that. They're going to do that. So I was like, okay, I'm prepared for this. Like I know what to expect mentally. And I feel like a lot of people are thrown off just because they don't know what the group's about and how they rehearse and things like that. And that's definitely super important to take into account. I think that that segues really well into what will kind of hit next, which is tying your experiences as a member into what you're doing now. Obviously, you mentioned you went from like Crown to BD to get this just full umbrella of the activity. So within what you're doing now, you're obviously you mentioned you're teaching I don't know if you mentioned this before or since we started recording, but teaching Dark Sky out on the West Coast. But you're also teaching with cadets and your dad on the East Coast, which I'm sure is an interesting experience, too, and relationship with your father as like kind of your boss. (laughs) Um, But how have you kind of married the two or adopted things from here and there? I'll, I'll, I'll stop it there. And then I have a follow-up question, but kind of like where, where have you cherry picked and kind of melded into your own teaching style? Yeah, I think just uh, really simplify it to, you know, that question is I just kind of do what I think works. And I think what the best thing is for the situation and the group itself um like I know I I was telling you guys earlier about different experiences I had in different groups and that's very true and even if you think about groups within maybe the Southern California area they all have their own kind of subculture and sub um technique and mechanics that they went through um so I I think I definitely got a varied experience as far as like a marching member and in general, where maybe they only march like their local groups or things like that. Maybe they go do independent. But as far as like getting everyone's 
like perspective and teaching, no. But I think for me, trying to marry the, the cadets and dark sky together is just, I teach how I teach. Um, it's not necessarily like I go to cadets and I'm like, okay, well, I got to put on this hat. And then I go to dark sky and I put on this hat. Okay, I go to this high school I teach and I put on this hat. Yeah, there's, there's different like ways how I run things maybe or how I rehearse the group depending on their level and what they need, the skills and things like that. But as far as like, what I believe for mechanics, like how you should play um, and things like that, it's, it's pretty much the same. Um, but I'll say just definitely getting staff's input on it too. I think that's super important. So whatever the other staff says, or even you have higher up staff saying, okay, this is how we do it. It's really saying, okay, this is how we do it. And then if I have something to say, maybe bring it up with them. But I hate, I hate people who kind of go to all these different groups and just kind of try to bring what they do to that group and just kind of blow everything up. <laughs> like, I think you, you definitely have to teach like how you would teach normally, but you got to make sure it's what the group does right it's like you got you got to adhere to like the the battery manager like the higher up the designer what they were thinking with the music and stuff like that but as far as my like teaching style for cadets and dark sky i'd say it's definitely just kind of how i teach any other group i think that that's i mean that's just how it should be i mean if you're trying to change yourself to fit a mold then probably not going to be an effective teacher or as effective as you could be. Uh, so yeah, I completely agree and understand that. And I know your dad, you, you'd mentioned like, uh, vamping off the other staff members and stuff like that. I know your dad, when he was on here, talked about like people coming to him with ideas and he's like, all right, I'll listen to what you got to say and we'll see what, we'll see what we have. Has that been pretty fun for you to just be like, Hey dad, maybe we should try this or like, what do you think about this? And him being like, okay, or that's stupid or sure, maybe not. But <laughs> how's that like collaboration been? Definitely. Uh, it's, it's been awesome. I'd say it's not, it's not as much me going to him. I think he does a lot of things where he's like, okay, we'll do that. Or even for the cadets body, like I've written a lot of the body at the cadets and he you just can tell. Said, all right, we'll do there's 12 counts, do something. And he'll like push me <laughs> in there. And I'll be like, okay, we'll just do this and this and this. Um, but I'm sure he's like, you've done way more body than I ever did. You go figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he's he's good at that though. He's good at delegating, um, you know, what to do or he knows his weaknesses um, and just kind of having people kind of fill in those gaps. Um, but as far as like, like for him, it's, he's really good at that rehearsal structure. And that's something I try to implement as well as just the structure of what we're doing, letting people know like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And even breaking down things like that's such a big one that I feel like it's kind of a lost art where people don't know how to really break down music or the kind of whole philosophy of how to implement that stuff to really get the most out of the performers. Um, so that's something that he really is, is great at. Um, but then other things, like I said, like the body stuff, he kind of just pushes me. He'll literally push me in there and say, all right, go do the body. Or I'll be up in the stands and he'll push me down and say, all right, go help him on the body or something like that. Um, yeah, so definitely I've never... a lot of me saying like, oh, this part sucks or, oh, change that or do that. 
it's definitely me implementing like kind of those gaps in between. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I've never been in one of Tom's rehearsals, which Mike and obviously you have, but I, I for sure can't picture in him walking down from the box and being like, all right, now you got to do this, uh, this plie here and you got to do this coupe into this, uh, tondu and, uh, like demonstrating it. He's like, <laughs> no, nah, that's past, that's past me. I got, I got other, see, I got other you know, soldiers for that. I once, I've seen him try once, but we put it out real quick. We, we put it out real quick. It's, it was taken care of. I've seen. That's funny. <laughs> oh man, that's body good. On the field, uh, some some eighties stuff or some yeah some like up and down the yard line, and he can kind of bend his knees a little bit too. So that's the most <laughs> he can kind of do. That's hilarious. Well, dude. Before we wrap this up, I have one last question that what you just said kind of segues into pretty well. What was the point where you realized who your dad was, I guess, since we're on the topic of teaching with your dad and everything, when was the point where you were like, oh, he's like a big deal? Oh, God. That was probably when I was way younger. So you figured it out pretty quick? It wasn't one of those things where it took you like yeah, it was, going it was to shows thing and... where people would come up to me and they would they would tell me things about my dad. I was like, why do you care? Kind of <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it was, it was or it was more annoying too. That was kind of an, an annoying thing. Like where now I I kind of appreciate it more. People yeah. come up to me, but when I was younger, I was like, all right, like you know, I, that identity thing where it's like, okay, well, you talk, are you talking to me? Or are you trying to talk to my dad through me in a way? Yeah, um, yeah. So that was kind of the thing where maybe honestly, like 10, 11, <laughs> okay. or even when I was around the cadets, it was just, or other groups, it was just kind of annoying. They'd come up and talk about my dad. Or all these random people. Talk? Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's, he's him and talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I, I could see that. That's cool. Who's well, got the better exercise, you or your brother? Oh, me. It's definitely me. Yeah, he is <laughs> a little lame. Uh, Yours funny. is definitely easier to, it's less complicated to learn. <laughs> that's true. It's less complicated, especially when you get into the like the middle section of my brother's exercise. It's, it's pretty tough. The fill-in, where you're filling in the left hand. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a tough one. That took me some time to get. I only I know that. I, I only know, know those because I, they were in the packet when I tried out for cadets in two thousand and seven, eight, two thousand eight, two thousand eight. Yeah. I, I had yeah, no idea you had a brother. Yeah, yeah, I, he's uh, he's a senior at Dartmouth right now too. Okay, so is he a snare drummer? Or yeah, snare drummer. Of course. <laughs> I didn't know there was another one coming up. Uh, yeah, WGI stuff too. So. Uh, I guess be on the lookout for him if things open up and stuff. So come out and yeah, live with you in California. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, great state. Uh, but yeah, dude, this has been great. It's been a blast talking to you. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've now talked to your dad and you, and, and I didn't know you had a younger brother. So maybe in a few years, if we're still doing this, we'll get him on yeah. here. So <laughs> have the whole family. Uh, well, I'll have your mom on here too. Screw it. Why not? But all right, everybody, <laughs> real quick, the abbreviated spiel. Subscribe, comment, like, patreon.com, Instagram, Facebook, Apple, 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe on all those places. Keep spreading the word. Check out LoneStarPercussion.com. They'll take care of all your percussion equipment needs. Save yourself 10 bucks on a new order of $50 or more. Code AGEDOUT. It's in the video description. Check out the reaction videos. Be on the lookout for clips. Blah, 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 blah. We'll see everybody next time. Peace.